Hello, and welcome to the Early American Brass Band Podcast. My name is Chris Triano, and joined most of the time, eh, I guess every time, by Stephen Canisrisi. Aloha. (laughs) (laughs) This is episode 13, where we'll be interviewing one of the legends in the field, Mr. Bob Bacchus. Bob is the leader of the Old Town Brass down in Huntsville, Alabama, and has been very active in this community and the scene for many years. He's also firsthand doing this great effort of trying to re-engrave and digitize all of the available Civil War brass band music so that it's easier to read and will be more easily accessible to, to bands going forward. So yeah, great guy. Really enjoyed our conversation with him. I mentioned, I think, in the episode that Bob was like one of the first guys that I talked to when I started getting into this music and starting our band uh, in Fairfax. I think I emailed him regarding some of the music that he had available, and he gave me a call, and yeah, we talked uh, for for over an hour, and he was like my first direct line into the community, so it meant a lot to finally be able to talk to, to Bob on this episode. Yeah, very nice guy, and that re-engraving project you mentioned, Chris, is um very important to preserve a lot of the music from this time and it makes our job a lot easier uh, when we go to play some of this music where we're not having to read off of manuscript uh, that might be faded or damaged or in some other way illegible so um, that's a real good help yeah our band and I know definitely that a handful of other bands are uh, would be struggling a lot more if it wasn't for Bob and his work along with uh, Terry Cornett. So we appreciate these guys' work there. As always, there will be show notes for this episode on our website at eabbpodcast.com. You can also, this link will be on there, but otbrass.com is going to be the website for the Old Town Brass and Bob Bacchus' work and stuff. So knows maybe while you're listening to this episode you go over to our website browse some stuff over there go to bob's website browse some stuff over there and there's some great information on both so here is our interview with bob bacchus enjoy thank you so much bob for for agreeing to fight through the technology to to speak with us this afternoon what got you involved in playing in Civil War era brass bands or maybe just early American brass bands in general? Where, where did that passion come from? I think when I was born, I was a Civil War buff. And when <laughs> I was in elementary school, the Civil War was my deal. In 1961, they came out with bubblegum cards with Civil War scenes on it. And I bought a big collection of those. I bought those with every nickel I could. And in junior high, I got into the band and um, started playing French horn. And um, I, I really, the Civil War was just a, a buff of, I mean, just a, a real good hobby of mine. And then you had the, oh, the 125th anniversary events that came along. And I was a reenactor. Um, I, I really enjoyed the people around here. And we, we did historical presentations. And I found the horn. And I bought the horn, and then um, it was a Civil War horn, and I used it, and then I had a Civil War bugle and used it a while. And then in 1990, we, um, I was working for Intergraph Corporation, and the guy said, hey, I want to put together a brass quintet. 
Well, I was a high school band director for 15 years and gotten into computers then. And I was playing horn with the symphony here in town in Huntsville. And so we, we decided to, we started a, a little um, quintet, brass quintet. We did some weddings and things. And a town about 30 miles here from Huntsville had a reenactment going on. And they said, Bob, can you come up here? We'll, and they outfitted our band in uniform. I found six Civil War charts that were put out by the um, 26 North Carolina band, and they mm -hmm. published a few charts, and we played those, and we had a good time, and then we started getting calls from all over the place, mm -hmm. and so we gradually got into music. Right now, in my library collection, I've got about 2,000 original Civil War charts. Yeah, we have the yeah. complete band books of a number of bands, yeah, yeah. and then we publish that. And yeah. so we've been together right at 30 years. Yeah. And, oh. uh, what is that? So that alto horn that you got initially is still the, the same horn that you're playing I, today? I still have it, but we have um, migrated to over-the-shoulder horns, originals, and... Um, at one time, I had 14 over-the-shoulder horns, which are the very rare ones. Mm -hmm. And I keep, I'm, I'm selling out a lot of my horns to a band up in Bardstown, Kentucky. And there's a collector up there who started a band. And um, I'm keeping for our quintet. See, we're a brass quintet with the drums. Mm -hmm. And um, we have an E-flat cornet, B-flat cornet, alto. I play alto, a tenor horn, and a tuba, and then a snare drum and bass drum. Mm. And we've been in 28 states. We've been on two of Ken Burns' television specials. Um, and we just really enjoy, we call it historical concerts, where we mm -hmm. tell the people about the music and then we play the music. And we, anytime we're invited to come and play someplace, we research it. Like we got invited to come up and play at the, uh, the McKinley Museum up in Canton, Ohio. And so we researched his his role hmm. and um, things, and we play. We found a Canton Zouaves march that was written for Canton, Ohio, and so we played that. And wow. um, so we try to research places that we play and um, put it on. We we do um, Union, we do Confederate, we do early war, we do late war, we do whatever the people would like. Gotcha. And all, all those different impressions are under the same Old Town Brass name? Same right? Old Town Brass. Cool. Yes. So, yeah, so I know some people change their their name to match the impression that they're doing, but that's cool that you guys kind of right. stick, stick to who you are and then and alternate it from there. <laughs> yeah, it's, whoever pays the bill gets to select the uniform. There you go. <laughs> We've got about six different, we can go early war, late war, various things like that. So you said the band's been in, would you say like 28 different states? How many, right. yeah, how many um, concerts or engagements do you guys normally do kind of per year? I, I know that now is oh, probably wow. not the best time to ask that question, but. <laughs> now yeah. we're down to about four a year, okay. uh, three or four a year. And we, there's a, a local cemetery here that has people from the Civil War buried there. They've got a whole section of unknown Confederate soldiers, as well as several Confederate generals and Union generals that were mm -hmm. buried here. Um, the Bernie family has a, a big plot here, and um, David Bernie was a Union general at Fredericksburg and one of the Corps commanders, and then he got 
he lost out there. He went to, um, he moved from here to Danville, Kentucky, and that's where they put on the Great American Brass Band Festival. And we played up there 14 times uh, doing our, our Civil War impression. So um, let's see, we're down to about four events a year. At one time, we were doing 20 events a year. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, everybody and their brother wanted us. And um, we Good. really enjoy it. We have uh, done a lot. We've done several where we were both bands. See, I have seven regular members, five brass and two drums. But I've got 25 alternates. Some mm -hmm. of the alternates are former members. And we have put, like for Franklin, Kentucky, they called us and they wanted to have a battle of the bands on the anniversary of the Battle of Franklin. And I brought both bands. Mm -hmm. We split our band and brought in some of our extra people, and we were the Union and Confederate band. Yeah, there you that. go. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. And it seems like, um, or what you were saying earlier, that you kind of began as a history buff and you were a reenactor first. Were you uh, reenacting as a field musician prior to kind of starting the band or did you not really get into oh, Yes, I was a bugler, a field musician, bugler, and I, I had a, a bugle and I would do the calls and I researched it to try to learn what calls were, were what for, for that. And then we, we had a brass quintet that did a couple of weddings and then they wanted us to do a thing at Elkmont. And so they outfitted our band. And I, I bought the 26 North Carolina. They had six charts. And we had that. And I had a few more charts. And from that, we have evolved into our, uh, our band now. And we will probably put together what we're hoping to take to um, Stones River October the 17th is a 34-piece band. Yeah, and well. we have people coming in from California. We have people from Ohio. We have people from um, Yari's coming down from Maryland. Yari's a little naval. You've talked to him. Mm -hmm. And he's, he's going to be the union band director. I'm the Confederate band director. And uh, so we're looking forward to that. Yeah, yeah, that's super exciting. And I know that Yari kind of had a similar introduction into this music uh, similar as you did, or kind of beginning. He came as to a... one of our concerts. He came to one yeah. of our concerts, and then he put his band together. Very yeah. cool. That's awesome. Yeah, we I know. That I... In, we played up in Maryland. And mm -hmm. I... Yeah, nice. I know that he started as a as a field musician also, and then kind of went from reenactor field musician into the band, kind of in that yeah. same order. In terms of some of the horns that your band is playing, and some of the horns that you might personally own, is there anything? Uh, in your collection that you're kind of particularly proud of having, like any gems or anything that you might like particularly enjoy playing on? Um, I've upgraded my horns all along. I'm always looking for better horns, better playing horns. And um, the tuba that we have was one that I got from a guy up in um, Virginia, at Richmond, Virginia. And it's a four-valve tuba. It's a D.C. Hall. D.C. Hall on, the on his instruments one year, 1862. Mm. And um, so you know this tuba was made in 1862. Mm. And it's a four valve. Mm. And our tuba players love it because they can go down low. You've got that extra valve to get down to the low, low area. Mm. And then I also have a drum. Now, it, it's funny, a guy called me in Kentucky and he, he goes around to various estate sales. And I bought a horn from him up in Kentucky, an alto horn, 
And then he called me and said, Mom, I've got a drum. And I said, well, I don't do drums. I just do horns, you know. And I, he said, well, this drum's an eagle drum. It's got the eagle. I said, well, that's a union drum then. And I said, that's nice. And, he, and it's got the guy's name on it, engraved on it. And I thought, wow, well, that, I'm a little bit more interested. And he said, and it has the guy's unit on it. I Next. said, okay, tell me the unit. He said, Iron Brigade Band. And I go, what? And I said, okay, I want it. And yeah. so we, we worked out a price. And he said, I'm leaving town tomorrow. I said, you'll have the check tomorrow. And I read and went to FedEx and got him the check. And he got me the drum. And there were two Iron Brigade drums that were made. The, the officers went together in late or, or about middle of 62 when the Iron Brigade got their name. And the officers went together and bought 10 horns and bought two drums. Well, I have one of the drums. The other drum was cut in two. The drummer thought it was too heavy. He cut it in two and had it made it into like a piccolo snare drum <laughs> that he has. And it's in exactly. the Iron Brigade Museum up in Wisconsin. Oh, there you go. Uh, my, my drum is incomplete. It, it's complete. And um, I have it in a, I, I had a case built for it, like a coffee table um, mm -hmm. or an end table. That's mm -hmm. glass on four sides and glass on the top, and I have the drum in it. Yeah, and, so that's, um, that's not a performance instrument anymore. Yeah, it, it's not performed. It, yeah. We don't perform with it, but yeah. I have used it in some of my presentations. Yeah, wow. That's incredible. It's, it's funny when you mentioned the drum. I, I've been doing research on a band. I'm from Pennsylvania, um, okay. and there's a community band that I play with in Lebanon, Pennsylvania. It's called the Perseverance Band. Okay. And you can trace their history all the way back to the Civil War. They formed in 1851, I want to say. And they enlisted in the Union Army as a band. And they were attached to the 93rd Pennsylvania Regiment, okay. Infantry Regiment. So I've, I've been doing research and trying to track down more history. And I found it. someone sent me a picture of the band shortly after the Civil War. And on their bass drum is like concrete proof that the perseverance band and the 93rd regiment band are the same band because on the drum head they have painted across the top perseverance band lebanon pennsylvania and in the middle it says 93rd pennsylvania infantry volunteers mm, wow. i was like this is the smoking gun this is great <laughs> so, yes, yeah yes, so no. it's it was it's a really exciting play. moment the other day yeah now you have to find that drum <laughs> i know the band has an old drum but i it's i guarantee it's not the same one because it's not a rope drum it's it's got you know the normal uh, mm -hmm. drum keys on it but well this drummer that had this drum he went back to um to wisconsin and played in a pipe and, and drum band and played locally and then he kept his drum and played it through um the grand army events you know reenactment things and, and stuff and so then he had a, a clothesline rope on it and he had it painted blue and white and which is totally opposite of what it was to begin with we've got a picture of the, the two drums and the horns and all in a, in, from a museum and all. But this, um, so I had it restored mm -hmm. by the guy that restores um, drums for the Smithsonian and we have it back to the original condition. With, and they, had, they happened to have a ball of rope from the Civil War that mm -hmm. was used to string drums. So yeah. this has original rope from the war. Yeah, that's and impressive. Did you know that the, um, Iron Brigade Band was dispatched in November of 1863 to go to Gettysburg, and they were there when Lincoln 
gave his Gettysburg Address. Oh, so they're uh, Iron Brigade band. Yeah, yes. one of the few there. Them in the the Marine so, Band and maybe yeah. somebody else. Yeah, yeah. And um, this drum, so this drum was there. Yeah, that's incredible. Wow, that's, wow. Some, that's some intense history. Yeah. <laughs> so going back to the horns, quick. Do you, do you own most of the horns that the Old Town Band uses, or do individual I, members kind of own their own instruments? I own, I own all the horns that we use, with the exception of one. And I sold that to Bell Proctor of B flat cornet. Because I needed, I wanted to buy another horn, and I needed the money yeah. at that time, and so I sold him uh, a B flat cornet that he still uses today. And um, our cornet players, our E flat and B flat cornet, are bell front horns because they play better. And um, then we use over the shoulder for the low brass, the the alto and the tenor and the tuba. We use over the shoulder for that, and then we use a rope tension snare drum and rope tension bass drum. And you had mentioned that you guys have multiple uniforms and you have, uh, you know, uh, over 2,000 pieces of music. Can you uh, talk a little bit maybe more about uh, the research that you put into e uh, each impression for maybe each performance or like maybe like what your thoughts on the band's uh, uh, emphasis on historical accuracy might be for each performance? Okay. Our, our snare drummer is Terry Cornett. Terry is a music historian. He's the principal um, percussionist for the Huntsville Symphony. And he researches, he is a research guru. Whenever we're going someplace, like when we played at Vicksburg and, or when we play at um, different places, we research the event and we see what bands were there and what they played. And then we try to play the same music. And we tell the people about the music that was played there. Um, like we've given, when we play at Stones River, the last number that the two bands played together was Home Sweet Home. And we do that. We give what we call historical concerts. So the people are hearing the music that was played at these events on the horns that could have been at these events that are period horns and with the, the same the same music, so they're hearing what the soldiers heard. And that's the type, type of events we try to do. We call them historical concerts. And then we tell them about if there was some particular historical event or why they played that music. And we mentioned who, who it was for. We've done, um, well, we did a concert up in um, Greenville, Tennessee. Now that's the home of President Andrew Johnson. And we had a Lincoln impersonator and a Johnson, President Johnson impersonator come. And we got with them and we told them what Lincoln said about the music, what President Johnson said about the music. And we play the music. We did, I believe, four high school concerts in Greenville, Tennessee. And the students just thoroughly enjoyed it because mm -hmm. we had the, the two impersonators there and they would give a little vignettes and things and um, then we play the music does the band do any of the full-on uh reenacting in terms of overnight camping and stuff or do you guys just show up for oh all those we concerts? tried that that doesn't work with my guys yeah. my, my guys are professional musicians we gotcha. do go and play at reenactments but we like to go be you know there's usually a, a saturday afternoon battle and a sunday afternoon battle in a reenactment mm -hmm. and what we do we get up there and we will play a, we call it play in the line. We'll walk up and down the spectator line before the battle starts, playing little little things. 
and then we will go and eat supper and rest, and then we'll come back and play the ball that night. Mm-hmm. And we'll play a ball, and then on Sunday we'll go back and we'll play a church service sometimes if they want that, if they need that, and then we'll play before the battle, and then we go home if we're doing a reenactment. But most of the things we do are historic concerts at uh, Civil War battlefields in the National Park System. Mm-hmm. And they have us in and they advertise it. And then we give a concert of music that pertains to that particular battle. And we, mm-hmm. we'll do it from both sides. Mm-hmm. And um, the Park Service tells us what to wear. We can go either Union or Confederate or both. And um, they tell us what they want emphasized on it. Yeah. So would you say that you're the one of the only members in your band that actually classifies themselves as a reenactor type of thing? <laughs> well, we're all, I guess, probably probably reenactors because we all have the uniforms and we all go and play. But our guys are professional musicians. Mm-hmm. Um, they play with the Huntsville Symphony. They play with church orchestras here, and um, they're. It takes a professional type musician to play these old horns and get them in tune. They're not like your modern horns. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, your modern silver horns are brass with silver plating, and they can take a beating and and you can really overpower those horns. You know, to, mm-hmm. and with these modern horns that are silver, they're solid nickel silver, which is very soft, and mm-hmm. you get a different type sound. You get a mellower sound. Mm-hmm. And um, so you have it. It takes years of practice to get these to play together, um, good. And so we we've, we've been doing this for thirty years. Yeah. Now, when you guys play, are you playing on modern mouthpieces or period mouthpieces? I always ask that question because, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. and your reaction is is why I, I <laughs> like to ask that question in these interviews because some people it doesn't matter much to them and then some people are really in one camp or the other so i'm i'm curious what you guys use when you play okay our low brass uses original mouthpieces the alto the tenor the um the tuba use original it takes that because they're more suited for the horn the Mm -hmm. high brass we've got one guy um that has his own special the e-flat cornet player and that's probably the most difficult of all the instruments to play. And he Definitely. has a special mouthpiece, but he gets a beautiful sound with it. And then our B-flat um, cornet player, he's been with us. And I think he's he switches back and forth between an original and a B-flat cornet. But our guys, our, our main basis of our guys have been together 30 years. Mm-hmm. And we, we alternated a, a couple of tenor players. We've got... Oh, five or six alternate um, tenors that come in that have played with us before, you know, and um, have been members of our group mm-hmm. here. Gotcha. Right now, we've been together with this the same seven since um, 2014 when we changed our tuba player, and our tuba player got in there in um, what 2000, mm-hmm. something like that. So we 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 very seldom change, and mm-hmm. sometimes we'll put together a big band. And we're talking about 10 or 12 brass and three drums. And then we bring in the alternates who are former members. Yeah. And so yeah. they know how to play the horns. And it, so we're able to do that. The band that Stephen and I currently play in, we kind of have a, a mix. We have some people, especially the, the alternates that don't play as often. Usually they're uh, coming in on, 
on our period instruments on modern mouthpieces just because they need to get through the gig kind of thing and you know it it works but it it you know they they do what they have to to get through the gig and then we have some period mouthpieces and some modern reproductions of period mouthpieces so we kind of have a, yeah. a a wide selection for people to play what they think is uh sounds best and feel most comfortable on yeah a, a period cornet mouthpiece e flat or b flat are totally different from your modern mm. uh, cornet mouthpieces your modern e flat cornet and modern b flat cornet and they're very difficult to play because it's a very shallow cup and then it goes in so our cornet players are kind of they're kind of critical but they have used the these horns so much and um our e flat cornet players been there since day one and our b flat cornet has been there since our first year we came in uh, just a few months into our and they are they are the uh, the core of our group because mm -hmm. they know how to blend with each other they know how to play together there are a number of these tunes where the um, the b flat and e flat have melody and counter melody going on and um, we're fortunate to have these these players yeah definitely and i think i reached out to you uh few weeks or months ago saying that I picked up uh, one of your guys's recent or not a recent CD but I had recently picked up one of your guys's CDs uh, the live Old Town okay uh, CD yeah. from you guys in uh at the Campbellville Kentucky yeah at the the uh, Great American Brass Band Festival yeah I mean not no that was the, that, uh, the National Civil War it was War. the National Civil War Band Festival that was taken from two different events three years apart mm -hmm. and um Oh, there's a, we had Frederick Fennell guest conduct us at each event there. We were one of the host bands, and um, Saxton's out of Kentucky was the other host band yeah. with that. And um, David McCullough, my brother-in-law, was the band director at Campbellsville University, mm -hmm. and he put on the, the Civil War Band Festival. We had 10 bands each year from all over the U.S. that came in, had a band from um, California to come, and... Um, it was a weekend event, and um, the live, there's a story about um, the second event we did. We decided to really challenge the band. Now, we're talking about our five brass and two drums, and we got in some music. We got the complete set of books from um, the U.S. Marine Band of the Civil War, we got, and this was um, Scala. Francis Scala was the band director from 1844 through 1870-something. And he had an arrangement of poet and peasant overture. Hmm. And um, we decided to do that. And we broke it down for that. And so we it's, a, it's nine minutes of straight playing. Mm -hmm. And when you've got five breaths playing for nine minutes straight, it wears you down. Yeah, mm -hmm. I'm sure. Okay, Frederick Fennell was up there, and he was going to guest conduct us. And so he get he's sitting over here, and we're in our first number. And I get up to introduce him, and I see him riding away on a golf cart. They were the the host had grabbed him and said, "Come here, we've got to do this radio interview with Dr. Fennell." And they were pulling him away. And here we are in the middle of a concert, several hundred people out in the audience, all these other bands were there, and we had to change the order of our concert. 
and we had to play two or three more numbers. And I tried to lengthen lengthen out my talking that I was doing between the numbers, and we get him back. So we had already played four numbers when we get him yeah. back and we do for it. And um, wow, and uh, we we made it through it. So how did you guys uh, get involved with Frederick Fennell for both of those events? David McCullough contacted him. David was the band director at Campbellsville, and he contacted him and because Frederick Fennell put out the CD, the first Civil War music CDs, and he got the 26 North Carolina band books and some band books from some union bands, and he got him to come and be a guest artist there. And so he guest conducted our band and he guest conducted the Rome band and several other bands. And he gave a lecture on how he did the, the recordings that are part of that. And um, he's been, a, he's guest conducted us two or three times. And he's just a great guy. Yeah. 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 Well, we, uh, yeah, our second episode, I think of the podcast was us yeah. kind of doing a deep dive into the, that first Eastman Fennell recording. And then, okay. 
the episode that uh, we interviewed two of the members from the Empire Brass Quintet and talked to them about their experience recording both of their albums, but they had some stories involving uh, Frederick Fennell for their second album as well. So that it's always interesting kind of hearing everybody's experiences with him and how influential he was with uh, this music. He, um, when he was getting ready to record the 26 North Carolina um, music, he went to them and said, um, I wanted to get copies of your music. They handed him the actual books. Yeah. And so he, he took those and they were reading off the actual books. Two years ago, Terry Cornett and I went to the Moravian Music Foundation over in Old Salem mm -hmm. and we photographed all their music and all, the, all these band books. And we're in the process of putting those into arrangements. We're hoping to play some of the charts that haven't been played in 160 years at this October 17th event wow. at Stones River. That'd be incredible. Is that some of the music that you guys are needing to invent some of the parts for? Because I know that there are some missing critical parts. There's in, some missing some parts. One of the books is missing the tuba part, but it does have a B-flat bass book. Oh, and okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. Have, and so you're okay there. You can you can make it work, and it does have maybe a baritone book. Gotcha. gotcha. Um, and different songs are are missing a few things, but we have enough that we have put in. I put in um, the way it works. I put the music into finale, and then I send it to Terry Cornett. Terry Cornett adds the drum parts and cleans it up. Terry has a fantastic ear. And he catches things that we need to change and things. And so then he cleans it up. We're hoping to do, we've got four of the charts done, completed now. We're hoping to do almost everything for, that hadn't been played yeah. in 160 years at this event. Yeah, that'll it's be River. I was telling Stephen before, uh, before you signed on that you were actually one of the first people that I reached out to when I started getting involved in early American brass band. I remember... It was a. Uh, it was dark outside. I don't remember when it was, but it was dark out, and we and we were talking on the phone for you know at least an hour about this type of music. Oh yeah. Uh, we'll we'll link in our show notes to uh, that the website that you have that lists all the stuff that you're selling commercially and stuff. Um, oh I, I remember seeing on that that you have a column of full band charts, and then you do quintet reductions for a lot of the music. Correct. Um, would you say that the full band? versions that you guys produce are as accurate and authentic as they can be to the source material and then the quintet reduction is what like old town brass uses type of thing correct you could actually take the quintet and play it with with the full band too because you're 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 in the same key and i'll let's um i'll tell you how we reduce one of these we take the full band and put it in and get it cleaned up and and get it so it sounds real good so you can hear everything now to, to break it down for quintet a lot of times you have a solo e flat cornet solo b flat cornet solo alto and they'll be playing the same thing and so we will take the melody and move it around between the instruments for one um particular phrase or stanza we may give it to the um, alto or we may give it to the um e flat cornet but we make sure everything is covered in these five voices. Your bass is almost always going to be the same. Sometimes you have a baritone part that has a melody. 
and um, and so we make sure the baritone gets gets covered or the tenor part gets with that. The quintets are where a quintet, a modern brass quintet, could come and, and play these, and you will hear everything pretty much that's in the in the chart. Gotcha. gotcha. Is that a method that you guys developed on your own, or did you have any type of initial like coaching or or anything of like how to reproduce early American brass band music uh, properly? We tr we try to stick with exactly what's there. Um, now there's a few places where you know this is obviously a wrong note or something, and we will we will make those those changes. But we try to keep it in the same key, in the same phrasing. Now Terry has a fantastic ear for blending it. And then he knows our strengths and our weaknesses. And so he, he helps break it down into the quintet parts. And um, when a person hears us, they're gonna hear everything that, that is is there. It's It took us a long time to do the Poet and Peasant. And it took us a long time to do some of these, these longer charts, but you're gonna hear everything that is in there pretty much when, when you hear our, our quintet. Yeah. So zooming out maybe a little bit, when did you start this, you know, kind of practice of, of digitizing some of the music? Cause you've done a lot of music <laughs> this way. Oh, when did you guys get into doing that? Okay. We were first approached about playing at um, Elkmont here. Okay. That was our first, gig and that's when I got the 26 North Carolina band books that they had published six charts out of their their book and then I started digging at the um, the library I started trying to find old music well somebody had a copy of Frederick Pennell's music that he used from the um, the band the union band um, Port, Port Royal Port Royal correct mm. he, they had his band books a whole set so they sent it to us I copied all that and we started putting that in. Hmm. And then we got, we have, I believe about 24 band books of different bands from the war. Um, and we got some of the new ones as recently as two or three years ago. And this is from Iowa. We got some Iowa band books. Hmm. We have hmm. them from, um, and then Mark Elrod got a set from uh, Mata, bought a horn just so he could get the band books that were in the case that came with the horn. And that was a band from New York, hmm. um, Elmira or someplace up in New York. And we got those band books hmm. and we are able to um, play, play numbers. The last time we played, I believe it was 2014 when we played the great American brass band festival, we did a, a concert on band music that hadn't been played since the war because they had just found these books and we were able to, to do that. So we, we've got about, oh, probably 20-something different mm -hmm. bands that yeah, we keep yeah. the, the books in. Gotcha. Yeah, that's incredible. And it can't be understated, you know, the, the long-lasting impact that this work is going to have on preserving this music. You know, who, you know it, the, uh, amount, the amount of time that you've put into to preserving this music in a digital format, you know, is... You know, the music hasn't been played in some instances for 160 years, but now, thanks to you guys, it's going to be able to be played for the next 160 years, you know, so it's incredible. We, we enjoy doing this, and we enjoy um, talking to people about it, and we enjoy going places and um, doing things. 
and um, we're, we're getting on up. I'm I'm 72 now. Um, our um, our drummers, a couple of our drummers, and are in their late 60s. Um, our cornet players are in their late 60s and mm-hmm. early 70s. So we're we're getting on up in age, but we're um, we're still enjoying it. So what Stephen and I are involved with. In uh in Fairfax, as we as you may already know, we play in the a, a Civil War brass band that's affiliated through George Mason University in Fairfax. And part of what, especially my doctoral research is kind of focusing on, is this idea of early American brass bands in the modern era and how they exist as modern reenacting you know brass bands. Uh-huh. So we're kind of ideally trying to through example, you know, showing how at the collegiate level uh, and through the support of a university, this type of music can one be uh, preserved, you know, and it can be used as a teaching instrument to uh, rising music education students and performers. We think that just like how colleges have Baroque ensembles, you know, and everybody's playing on harpsichords and gut string violins and stuff that, uh, that itch, you know, that we see no reason why, uh, these universities can also be supporting 19th century brass bands also. Um, Being up in in Virginia like that, then you know where the Shenandoah University is up there. Oh, yeah. Yep. Okay. When we first got into this, Mm -hmm. my cousin that lives in Winchester said, hey, they've got a a band like this up up here at Shenandoah. Well, I contacted the person up there, and they, they had had some students that were playing these old horns. They bought a complete set of over-the-shoulder horns from Rob Stewart in California. Mm-hmm. Now, these are modern reproductions of the over-the-shoulder. And we're talking about E-flat cornet, B-flat cornet, tenor, alto, and tuba. Mm-hmm. Well, I contacted the guy, and he said, nobody's playing them right now. Would you like to borrow them? So mm-hmm. we borrowed them for about a year, and we did our first recording on them. Okay. And... Mm-hmm. Um, these are modern horns, but they're cut from the same pattern. Um, mm-hmm. Rob Stewart's a California guy that makes horns yeah. and does fantastic jobs with the horns and, and repairs them. And um, he's a good friend, too. He, he's done a lot of the Civil War reenacting. And anyway, we started with those horns, and then we gradually um, purchased other horns and mm-hmm. got, got to the original horns. So you guys are still in possession of those Shenandoah horns? Oh no, they. Um, I think the Tuscarora band up in mm. um, West Virginia, right across the line from Virginia, has those horns now. But gotcha. the, they were part of the um, Shenandoah University. The reason yeah. we were able to get them, the the people that were using them, left them outside with the cases open, and it rained, and they yes. didn't pick them up. And the cases nearly tore up, and mm. Um, I had a cousin that lived in Winchester that, that helped me with that. And so we, we were able to, I drove up there and got the horns and brought them back. And, yeah, um, yeah. Wow. We used those for a year. Our first recording was on those. Gotcha. How many recordings do you guys have altogether? We have four. Um, that one is called um, the Blue and Gray Oleo. These are CDs that we have. And we have a tape. That was our first tape that we did on those. And that's the most popular songs on both sides of the war. Then we have um, the the 26th North Carolina band music, and that's Southern Serenade, and that's all music from the 26th North Carolina band book. So that's all Confederate music. 
And there's six hymns that we have on that, that we would play, we got from their books. And then we have um, live, which is the, I believe the recording that you have. Mm -hmm. And um, that was recorded at the Civil War Band Festival in Campbellsville, Kentucky. Then our latest one, um, greetings, it's, the, the subtitle is Greetings from Occupied Huntsville, hmm. but it's um, Civil War music that was played in Huntsville by the occupying bands. Oh, wow. Um, we have, I believe, 14 numbers on it, and it's some very difficult music, but it was played, there were, um, Huntsville was occupied for almost the entire war, and hmm. the bands that were part of the occupying forces gave concerts here. And we have letters where people wrote that they went down to hear the concert of this band and, and this. So it's a lot of heavy union music. Mm, and so we have that. That's our latest one. And Very uh, cool. Yeah, we'll, we'll be sure to, to link to those. Are those all on your website available? They're all on our website, yes. Cool. Great. On our website also, we have a, a resource tab where we have a discography section. And I think... I think all four of those albums are on our discography that, right. that show that they're available. But yeah, we'll especially in the show notes, we'll we'll do an additional link and plug for you guys for those. We appreciate that. But I did just pull up that discography page, and all four are on there. And that one you're talking about, the the title we have is Yankee Bands in Dixie's Land. Right, Yankee Bands in Dixie's Land. There's some heavy numbers on there, and um, we were fortunate to get get those recorded. <laughs> Our whole um, mission is to give a history lesson. Mm -hmm. When people come to our concerts, we hope um, they go away knowing something new about the history of the Civil War. A lot of people are what they call Civil War buffs, mm -hmm. and, and they wouldn't be coming to our concert if they didn't enjoy the Civil War. And so we try to give people a, a history lesson. We tell them about the horns, we tell them about the music. We tell them if there's anything about this particular arrangement for the area and, mm -hmm. and how it fit into the area. And um, then we also take questions. And so we, we turn it into an educational experience mm -hmm. for this. And our guys are pretty well knowledgeable about the Civil War. And we've been for playing together 30 years and have basically the same core of people playing in there. Um, we really enjoy it, and we're all history buffs, and um, we just really enjoy what we're doing. Yeah, kind of maybe getting into the weeds a little bit, but I think Stephen and I agree that with some people's hesitancy, sometimes with this style of music, it, it's important to talk to, uh, talk about it. Have Have you ever experienced any uh, any pushback in any of those history lessons that you've been trying to give, where people fight you? on any element of your presentation? No, um, we, well, at one time, they asked us to come up and play in, um, I believe this was Franklin, Tennessee, and we've been up there probably six or eight times to play in Fra Franklin's a very historical city. And the lady putting on the event was real, um, oh, she was real careful about things. And so we were setting up we were getting our, this was a, a big fundraiser. They had a, a big tent set up and it was a big fundraiser and they had hired us to come up and do a Civil War band concert. And so in Civil War band concert, we played music from both sides. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and she said, when 
when we were setting up, she said, oh, Mr. Backus, we want you to come and play. I just don't want you to play Dixie. And I said, ma'am? And I said, you, you, the contract says Civil War Band Concert. She said, yeah, but we have some people that might be offended by your playing Dixie. And I said, Dixie was part of the Civil War. She said, yeah, well, we just don't want it played tonight. So we started packing up. Mm-hmm. We started packing. She said, what are you doing? I said, well, um, you asked for a Civil War Band Concert, and there was nothing in the contract about not playing a number or not playing this. And I said, we are going to do a concert, a Civil War Band Concert. And I, I said, here, I'll give you your check back. And she said, no, no, you've got to play. She said, well, you can play Dixie as long as you play Glory Hallelujah. And I said, well, wait. I said, you've asked for a Civil War band concert. And I said, you just happened to, we, we had planned on playing Glory Hallelujah, but you didn't tell us any, any numbers to play. And so we did play Glory Hallelujah. And then we stood up and played Dixie at about three times the volume that we played Glory Hallelujah. And yeah. um, the people all stood at, for, for Dixie, too, because it's yeah. a very southern town. But um, that's been the, the only time we were asked not to play something that I know in our, in our 30 years experience. It's interesting that that was the particular tune that was asked to follow up Dixie, because that falls right in line with the... Uh... What, Elvis Presley's American Trilogy song. Oh, that's my wife's favorite number. She, yeah. loves, she loves that. And yeah, I, I know that's kind of, maybe not a common practice, but that is a popular way of presenting that music is by following it up as like yes, a... We, we as have, a um, oh, I guess six or eight different arrangements of Dixie. We have two Confederate arrangements. And we have like nine or ten um, union arrangements, and we we put it depending on where we're playing. We'll put it either in the middle of the of the concert, or we'll put it at the end of the concert. And we have different stories we can tell, all of which are true about yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we've had that same pushback. You know, the reason why I asked that question is because our band's only existed for what going on four years now, but mm-hmm. we've already had a handful of issues uh before the performance happens so it's not i like to think that it's not the way that we did it and then they get mad after the fact you know it's all this like preface kind of thing like that you were saying like before the concert happens right. people kind of come up to us and it's happened what three or four times already for mm-hmm. us I, I don't know if it's the the area that we live in being in northern virginia where it's kind of like that that uh geographical line where, where it's a little bit more ambiguous of what people are okay with talking about or hearing or kind of thing. But yeah, it's it's been interesting trying to... That Yeah, that's to my knowledge, that's the only time somebody asks us not to play Dixie. I'm not going to give names, but there is uh, a friend of ours who's a, a prominent band leader in this style of music that I know for a fact uh, basically got out of it for that reason just being exhausted with uh the political side that the audience was turning these concerts into type of thing so oh well i have been dealing with the the people at stones river because we have that one coming up on um october the 17th and um the people that come there know exactly what they're getting and Mm -hmm. the um they want a historical performance and you're going to hear two bands, a union band and a Confederate band, playing original music 
on original horns. Yeah. And so they're going to get exactly what the, the audience heard that was there, what, 160 years ago. Yeah, and that makes sense. Also, Stephen, when we had uh, Dominic Giardino on the show a few weeks mm -hmm. ago, he was talking about, you know, we kind of posed the same question to him. He's a, a musician at Colonial Williamsburg, and mm -hmm. we kind of posed that same question to him. And he had a similar response that you had. Everybody that's coming into Colonial Williamsburg, you know, is making that trip, is making that time commitment to go there. So they're already buying into, you know, what the whole atmosphere is, you know, so, so he wasn't really, he didn't have any experiences like that either. And we research any place that we're going to play. Now, um, if we go to a battlefield, we research the bands that were there and mm -hmm. we may have some of the music they had in the band books. Um, we we played we played down at New Orleans for the um, the Confederate Museum down there, and so we leaned heavily on New Orleans bands or bands from Louisiana that would have been there in New Orleans. Mm -hmm. And of course, when you play the Bonnie Blue Flag, you have to play you have to tell the story that that was prohibited from being played in New Orleans. That mm -hmm. they they find people they find bands if they played the Bonnie Blue Flag down there. And that's really one of the first Southern songs before Dixie came out. And then we have the um, story we tell in Montgomery where the first band arrangement of Dixie's Land came out. And you had a, a theater band that was asked to play for the um, inauguration of Jefferson Davis. And so Jefferson Davis had this parade and here came this theater band. And before they did that, um, Daniel Emmett had given a minstrel show in Montgomery. Well, the band director of this, this band went to him and said, I need an arrangement of Dixie's Land. I need a band arrangement of it. So Emmett took out his pencil and they didn't have any music paper. So he ripped off a piece of the hotel wallpaper and did some staffs on it and wrote Dixie, uh, an E-flat cornet part, a B-flat cornet part, the alto, and wrote a band arrangement to Dixie's Land, where yeah. you can go to Montgomery to the archives and you can see this um, piece of wallpaper. And now it's in the key of D. Now, mm. if you think D, that's strings. And so he was thinking about violins and fiddles and things, but here are, um, here's a band apart. And these horns don't play good in sharks. You yeah. gotta go to at least three flats or four flats to, for them to sound good. But that's the first arrangement of Dixie's Land, um, band arrangement that was written. And sometimes we'll play it, and then we'll play the 26 North Carolina band arrangement of Dixie's Land, which is in a much easier key to play and mm. uh, is very good. But it, there's, a, there's a difference in that. Interesting. You should try that, Stephen, next time we have a concert or a recital when we're in the green room, just rip off some of the wallpaper and write down some of the <laughs> See how that goes over. See if they ask us back. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> That's hilarious. Would you mind telling us where online people can find more information about the Old Town uh, Brass Band and some of the work I'd you guys are doing? To, if you go to www.otbrass.com, you come up to our website mm -hmm. and you'll see pictures of our horns, You'll see pictures of our um, events that we have played at, a number of the events. 
you'll find information about our drums, um, quite an extensive collection of pictures on the horns because some of my, my guys have, have their own original horns too and some that we've had. And then you'll find our music in there. And so if you want to play it now, there's a section on our music, you'll see a little yellow notepad at the end of each arrangement. And if you click on it, it gives you concert notes for this arrangement. And we tell where it was played, what bands played it, um, who wrote it, and any particular information about it. So we've got your concert notes for this music also. Yeah, very and, so they can go to www.otbrass.com. That's for the arrangements and the CDs are there as well, you said, right? Yes, sir. Very cool. Great. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much, Bob, for, for taking the time to speak with us this afternoon. Thank you for fighting through the the, the Zoom difficulties at the beginning. But I'm, I'm, glad, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad we were I'm able to work it out. I'm sorry about that. I'm, no, it's okay. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry about that for having the, the problem there. Um, if there's any questions you have or anything else you need, just let me know. Okay, great. sounds good. Yeah, thank you so much. It was great getting to chat with you and getting to see and meet you for the first time. <laughs> okay, appreciate it. Yeah, All likewise. Right. All right, great. take care. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you. Take see care. All right, well, thank you again, Bob Bacchus, for coming out and speaking with us. That was an awesome conversation. Like I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, uh, Bob was my first line into this community, so it was awesome to finally get to see him and meet him and talk to him uh, for this project. It's been a long time coming, and we're uh, I'm excited that we got to share this experience with all of you. Yeah, it's great. All these people are so uh, generous with their knowledge and experience in talking to to us, so we are very appreciative. Um, we couldn't do this podcast without guests, really. So <laughs> it's yeah. it's always nice to to. I would say get out and talk to people, but uh, mm -hmm. we're all doing this from our apartments slash houses. Uh, so uh, regardless, it's, it's nice to um, talk to people about their experience and people who are passionate about about history and early American uh, brass band music. Uh, if you like what you're hearing, come hang out with us on social media because you might hear a little bit more. We post some exclusive stuff. Uh, interview clips uh, other videos um, especially on our youtube page we're starting to put up some uh, things that don't make it into the full episode and hopefully in the future some dedicated uh, more independent content from the episodes um, and we're also on facebook instagram and twitter so come hang out with us there you can contact us there too we can chat a little bit if you're interested or you can email us at eabbpodcast at gmail.com something that i've really enjoyed is uh you know once in a while, people will send us an email or reach out to us more so through through social media. Uh, a lot of times just to say hi or to say that they're listening to the podcast. Some people uh, have ideas that we've incorporated into episodes. So really, uh, it, it's more for us to just enjoy, you know, making more connections and talking to people. So please feel free to, to reach out to us and and just say hi. We'll be happy to know that, that you're listening out there. This episode's featured album is the latest CD from Old Town Brass. This is Yankee Bands in Dixie's Land. As Bob was mentioning at the end of the episode, this album is all northern band music that was played in occupied southern territory during the Civil War. So it's a, a really interesting take on, uh, or a perspective, on a lot of this music that you know we might often hear but not necessarily know the context 
uh, of the surroundings of which it was performed. So really interesting to hear that music in that context there. Yeah, and uh, there's music from four bands that's represented on the album. We've got the 1st Brigade Band, 4th Minnesota Volunteer Infantry, 12th Indiana Infantry Regiment, uh, 102nd Ohio Volunteer Infantry Regiment, uh, and that's only three, right? That was five. Oh, no, that was four. Wow, we're all over the place. (laughs) (laughs) There's a comma between uh, 1st Brigade Band and 4th Minnesota Volunteer Infantry, so that makes four total. Yeah, I don't know where I got five from. (laughs) That's all right. It's it's been a long day of interviews, so we're we're getting a little punchy, but still gets the the job done. So anyway, yes, there are four four, uh, music from four bands on this this album. So we'll have a link to where you can purchase that album on our show notes page. So go over to eabbpodcast.com. Uh, go to the show notes section, type or click this episode, and you'll be able to see some information about that. So thanks so much for listening. Be sure to catch us on social media and on our website. Uh, it's eabbpodcast.com. And we'll catch you on the next one. Mm-hmm.